Welcome to the Ace Tip Podcast, where we translate science into sense, so you can learn about research in the justice and health fields without having to access or read a lengthy journal article or report. I'm Danielle Rudes, your host, and I'll do most of the work for you. All you have to do is listen. ACED is a cool and super helpful product brought to you by the NIDA-funded Justice Community Opioid Innovation Network, or JCOIN, through the Coordination and Translation Center, CTC, housed at the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University. For more information, check out jcoinctc.org. Now, let's get started. Remember the age-old question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? This question has stumped and interested folks for many generations. This confusing chicken and the egg phenomena can be used to describe drug use in prisons. Does drug use begin during imprisonment? Or is it a continuation of pre-incarceration drug use? It is hard to pinpoint whether carceral residents influence drug use among their peers or if many of the residents already use drugs outside of prison and continue doing so once incarcerated. Despite a vast array of research on drugs in prison, most do not ask this specific question. However, Norwegian researchers set forth to look deeper into this issue in seven Norwegian prisons. In the study, the authors researched the risk factors associated with prison drug use, as well as why it is so prevalent. First, some background information to help you better understand this topic. The worldwide prison population is nearly 11 million people. Yes. 11 million. You heard that, right? When I close my eyes and try to imagine that many humans, I can't even comprehend such a large number. Among the worldwide prison population, many imprisoned individuals struggle with substance use disorders and drug use. To be more specific, over 50% of women and over 30% of men in prison struggle with substance use disorders. This is a huge percentage for both populations and raises concern regarding what factors are influencing this large problem in prisons. Next, let's break down some of the issues facing those struggling with substance use disorders, or SUD. Individuals in prison who have a substance use disorder are at a much higher risk for social problems, such as unemployment, struggles to find housing, poor health, and mental illness, such as psychiatric, psychological, and behavioral issues. Furthermore, suicide rates are much higher for those with an SUD in prison as they experience severe drug withdrawals during their first days in prison or jail and are often provided little or no medication. This can be very triggering and cause suicidal thoughts. Think of it like this. You feel the sickest you've ever felt in your life with a migraine, stomachache, vomiting, chills, a fever, and you're stuck in a prison cell. You can't go run to the nearby market to pick up your favorite soup You can't call your local doctor for an appointment and to get medicine. You can't even have your favorite show on television. You do not know when your symptoms are going to end and you have no one helping you to ease the pain. Sounds like a pretty helpful situation, right? It is quite traumatizing and scary to those with SUD. As many know, they will not receive the help they need when experiencing withdrawal. Now that you have some background information and a foundation of what an SUD looks like in worldwide prisons, Let's focus on European prisons specifically, as the study we will be discussing was done in Norway. The European Monitoring Center for Drugs and Drug Addiction estimates between 2% and 31% of individuals in European prisons inject drugs. Not only is injecting drugs in general extremely risky, but it can also lead to communicable diseases. Examples such as HIV and hepatitis, 
which are prevalent in prisons because of sharing needles for drug use. Sharing needles in prison is much more common than outside of prison, which leads many additional health issues to occur for individuals during incarceration. Let's just pick a middle number between the 2% and 31% of residents who inject drugs and say it's 15% for this example. Now imagine a prison housing a unit with 100 women. Out of these 100 women, 15 or 15% of the women inject drugs throughout their prison stay. However, to inject drugs, they must have a needle, which is illegal and hard to get into the housing unit. Because of this, all 15 women within a month use the same needle to inject drugs. Perhaps in our hypothetical situation, the third woman to use the needle is HIV positive and doesn't know it. In fact, many prisons do not test for HIV or only test as a resident is released. She now has shared the needle with the 12 women after her, which all now have contracted HIV and do not know it. This cycle is a continuum where disease spreads fast and is often undetected. Now let's get to the research. The authors of this study wanted to be able to describe the patterns of drug use before and during imprisonment, as well as find which identifying factors associated with drug use in prison. The researchers did their study in Norway, which is actually a country with low imprisonment rates and high levels of services for those imprisoned compared to other countries worldwide. To put it in perspective, in 2016, there were 655 persons incarcerated per 100,000 people in the United States, whereas in the same year in Norway, 73 people were incarcerated per 100,000. That's nearly one-eighth of the number of people incarcerated in the U.S. in the same year. So Norway is doing something right when it comes to keeping their prison rates low. Norway's prison beds are also spread throughout the country so residents can be close to their friends and family during their incarcerated period. The prisons are much more intimate and smaller than prisons in the U.S., with the largest Norwegian prison housing just 400 individuals. One of the most shocking things that the Norwegian criminal justice system does is with its sentencing guidelines. The longest sentence in Norway is 21 years of imprisonment. Here in the U.S., we're used to hearing about life sentences or 50 to 100 plus year sentences. One more characteristic about Norway's prisons, of all the prison releases in Norway during 2018, around 20% were released within 30 days or less, and 85%, roughly, were released within one year. To begin their research, these scholars use data from the Norwegian Offender Mental Health and Addiction Norma study, which is a cross-sectional survey of nearly 1,500 individuals housed in Norwegian prisons. Norma is a quite innovative tool, which uses national survey data to better understand substance use disorders, crime, and mental health among those in Norway's prisons. The researchers sent out and collected data through questionnaires to 57 Norwegian prisons from June 2013 to June 2014. The NORMA questionnaire consisted of 116 questions, which ranged from criminal activity to drug use to health issues and took about an hour to complete. And this questionnaire was available in five different languages, which made it accessible to more individuals. Participants were asked questions about their age, birth country, education levels, family history, etc., to give researchers an understanding of the background of each individual. Mental health was the next part of the questionnaire where participants Psychological distress at the time of the study was measured using a scaled checklist, which was called the 10-item Hopkins symptom checklist. The next topic asked about crime or crimes that landed them in prison for their current sentence. Lastly, participants were asked about their history with drug use during four periods, lifetime, 
six months prior to their imprisonment, during imprisonment, and during former sentences. The researchers listed 16 different types of drugs for participants to choose from, which allowed them to provide a broad range for the best results. The researchers defined drug use by the individual if they responded positively to one or more drug types during each period. Regarding lifetime use, this was defined as having used any drug, not alcohol, during any period. They also asked participants if they were under the influence of drugs and alcohol at the time that they committed their crime. Now, let's break up the results into several categories. The mean age of participants was 34.6 years old, and the sample included a population of 6.4% women. More women than men noted family use of drugs and or mental illness. Only 30% of participants reported having only primary school education, and 8% reported not achieving any school qualifications at all. Roughly 40% of the participants reported that their current sentence was related to a drug crime, and roughly 41% for a violent crime. Almost three-fourths of participants reported being under the influence of drugs and or alcohol when committing the crime related to their current incarceration. This is a pretty significant finding that is extremely important for understanding drug use in and outside of prison. Researchers found of the 1,499 participants, 65% reported a lifetime of drug use. Of the lifetime users, nearly half reported using five or more different types of drugs, and nearly one-third reported using 10 or more types. It is also important to note that about half of the participants reported daily drug use in the six months pre-imprisonment. Over one-third of the participants reported drug use during their previous and or current prison sentence. Only 3% of participants reported initiating drug use in prison, which is extremely notable and can lead one to argue that drug use may start outside of prisons. The researchers also found in-prison drug use was less common among women than men. The most common drugs the participants reported using included cannabis, benzodiapines, osteopathic manipulative treatment medications, and amphetamines. One important finding from this study is that 96% of participants who were involved in drug use in prison used drugs in the six months prior to their imprisonment. This finding is significant for answering the question of whether drug use starts in prison or outside prison, kind of similar to the analogy regarding the chicken and an egg, which one came first. Remember, this study sought to consider two main areas, drug use before and during prison, and factors associated with drug use in prison. In-prison drug use is independently associated with drug use before imprisonment. This means that to lessen drug use in prisons, the issue must be combated before the prison stay. The issue lies outside of prisons, with half of the residents using drugs daily in the six months before their imprisonment and 65% of participants experiencing lifetime drug use. So what does this mean for the criminal legal system? These findings are extremely useful for helping us understand that drug use in prison stems from drug use prior to a sentence in the outside world. Therefore, correctional services such as jails and prisons should pre-screen incoming residents for drug use, current, past, or lifetime. For those who test positively for drug use before their sentence or report prior drug use, proper services should be provided. Examples of these would be detox services, withdrawal medications, and drug treatment for those in need. By providing services to those struggling with substance use disorder while incarcerated, drug use in prisons could lessen. If prison residents aren't receiving the proper care when trying to stop using the drugs they consumed before entering prison, they will be more likely to continue using drugs within prison. So, 
All in all, it may not actually be a chicken and an egg problem. Rather, it's about going beyond this simple paradox and helping individuals cease a substance use disorder no matter where it began, so that the next chapter of their lives, even if in prison, can be less focused on using drugs and more focused on staying safe, getting the programming or services they may need, and successfully completing their prison term so they can begin life again, drug-free and outside carceral walls. That wraps another episode of the Aced It podcast. We thank you for listening to Aced It, where we translate science into sense. Also remember, you can find one-page summary overviews written in plain language and short knowledge bursts, which are 30-second overviews, for all the research we cover on this podcast on our website, www.jcoinctc.org. Our conveniently packaged research summaries may help you remember what you heard here, and they will help you translate this research to your staff, friends, students, or colleagues. Additionally, we'd like to thank NIDA, Dr. Faye Taxman, and all the students and staff at ACE, including our podcast mastermind doctoral candidate, Shannon Magnuson, who is the brainchild behind this podcast. Oh, wait, two more quick things. If you're a researcher and you'd like us to consider using one of your research articles or reports for an upcoming podcast, please send it to me, Danielle, at D-R-U-D-E-S at gmu.edu. If you'd like to support our podcast to keep the sense coming, please tell your friends and colleagues about us or assign this podcast to your students or staff. Thanks again, and please tune in again soon for another informative episode of the ACE Dip Podcast, translating science into sense.